the human animal isn't doing well in the modern world. We have become domesticated and have lost our wildness. Rates of unhappiness are skyrocketing. We are anxious, fragmented, and drowning in an overwhelming sense of meaninglessness. It should be clear to all of us that for all the promises of modernity, we don't seem to be better off when it comes to our overall health. The Human Animal Show explores a return to a state of wild health, our original, authentic human animal. And now for your hosts, Frank Forensich and Dr. Rodney King. John, so How are awesome. you? Fantastic, so awesome to connect. Super, yeah. Very and that's, glad to be with you. Yeah, there's my co-host, uh, Mr. Exuberant Animal. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Good it's to great see to you. meet you. Yeah, fantastic. So, John, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a I'm a huge fan of your work. Um, I was so excited when you said you would chat to us. Really excited. Um, I feel like I'm really coming late to this, even though I'm like 50 next year, you know, to, to, to your way of thinking, but like more and more and more, I'm, I'm, I'm coming around to your way of seeing the way we are living. And uh, yeah, and that's, that's what I want to talk about. And I want to pick your brain. I want to get your insight and uh, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a friendly conversation because I think we're all in the same camp. Nice. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, you know what, John, like not to like throw you right into the, to, to the heat of things, so to speak, you know, but what I'm really interested in, because obviously I've, I know your work, I've read your books. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, where do you stand as of now? Like if you think about your, I don't know how you would describe it. Let's maybe call it your philosophical position. Where is it now? Because, potentially like all of us, right? We go through these iterations through our lives and we start one place. And I remember writing about certain things maybe over a decade ago that I wouldn't write today, right? I wouldn't talk about it in the same way. So I I think it's a good thing. I mean, I've evolved, my mind has broadened, I've I've had more experiences and so forth, right? So where where would you put your, your philosophical position now? Like if you had to kind of give us the Cliff Notes version of it. Gosh, well, it's, you know, it's always uh, an effort to stay open and just to, uh, you know, be uh, available for new evidence and new perspectives. I think what I, I've, you know, what we're seeing, uh, and I think you'll probably agree, we're seeing the end game of civilization. It's failing on all fronts across the board at every level, you know, in every area. So it's made me think that, uh, you know, our, our way of thinking is, is more important all the time. And, and uh, how do we increase that dialogue uh, now that, you know, one of the questions I've talked about on, on my weekly radio show lately is the same old question. Um, what do we do now? And uh, with what we have arrived at, uh, how is it that as things get visibly worse, 
Uh, and nobody even, I don't, I don't think you can hardly find anyone who doesn't deny the fact that civilization is failing. It's just, it's really, we're getting to the end of it. And But why is it that we're not getting further with this, you know, hopefully public conversation? Mm. The implications of, you know, when you arrive at a, a critique of civilization that's, you know, somewhat complete. I mean, um, it's such a totalizing world. The whole system involves everything. It's all interdependent. It's more integrated by the day. I think I've come to see that more fully. So then the question is is really on the table, and yet it's not happening. I mean, what passes for politics doesn't really admit the stuff that we're talking about, does it? I mean, it's it's kind of uncanny that uh, why not? You know, that's part of the thing in terms of current thinking, you know, that challenge of uh, how can we push this forward, the conversation in society, to include these fundamental questions, you know, these fundamental conclusions that really implicate the whole system in every way. I mean, there's... Uh, so I my... Uh, anti-civilization position is, has gotten even more uh, well it's it's ever more evident that uh, it's valid also the question of technology very very tied to the other one you know is it possible to see is it possible for people not to see how negative that is you know it's incredible the, the, we hear from all sides all these lies, for example, so, so, uh, technology, the technological society means that we're all connected. We're so connected. Well, the very opposite is true. Right. It's astounding. All right. the stuff on loneliness and anxiety and depression, being disconnected, you know, the loneliness, you could fill a library with. Everybody knows that. And yet here we are. The technology keeps moving on. It, it just has to be confronted. And I've... I've even more uh, committed to that, you know, mm. that it's uh, it's so unhealthy. It's just uh, part and parcel of the uh, pathological things we see as civilization reaches its fruition, if you will. I mean, it's uh, it's it's. But again, it's so frustrating because it's hard not to see that, and yet, you know, in this country, for example, it's all about Trump. It's all about these, I mean, he's a loathsome character, to be sure, but there's nothing else you want to talk about in terms of, you know, in terms of media, in terms of, you know, what the hell's going on here? Yeah. Well, I was, I was saying to, to Frank, you know, just before you jumped on the call, I was like, politics for me is like mathematics, right? When I hear politics, I just switch off. I just, I don't get it. I don't understand it, right? And just touching on what you noted there, you're absolutely right. As I'm talking to more and more people, there is this realization that there is something very wrong. The only time I come up against people who don't see it that way are the people that, for quote unquote, have won within the system, right? But anybody else, they are very, they're very, they're very clear about their understanding that something is not right. I find it interesting, and this is kind of what I think you're hinting to, is that even though that they know something is not right, it's almost as if they still don't want to admit it fully. It's like nobody wants to address the elephant in the room. 
Mm-hmm. And I've been exactly. thinking, I've been thinking about that. Like, why is that? I think the part of the parcel of this whole situation is like what it really comes down to. And, and again, I might be wrong is a process of indoctrination from the moment we were born into the system as if, you know, we are told this system is what's going to make you happy. If you achieve all the markers that are said to be fulfillment, you know, be it materialistic gain, uh, you know, beating everybody else or getting rising to the top of the competitive ladder and so forth. When you get through all of that, you will be happy. And maybe there's a part of people that because they're not winning at this game, so to speak, right? They keep thinking, well, maybe if I just if I just manage to get, you know, hit that corner and win a little bit more, you know, get to the top of the, the pecking order, things will turn for me. I think there's almost this kind of nihilistic hope that somehow it's going to materialize. But, you know, as you noted, and, you know, you, you've been doing this far longer than, than myself and Frank, it isn't, and it's not getting any better. And definitely on the technological front, I see that too. You know, as somebody that has basically you know, two boys, my, my eldest is 21, my youngest is 17. I'm very well aware of what's happening within the, you know, in the world of, you know, what they, you know, typically defined as mental health, right? And, it, and it's not looking, it's not looking good. It's not looking good at all. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's such a tattered uh, social fabric that uh, here, Perhaps worse than the UK, even, you know, the suicide rate among, especially among the young. We lost our granddaughter this year. Uh, she was a sophomore in college. And, uh, you know, the opioid crisis, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, it's so bad. That's why this human animal project, I, I just love that. And I, I was happy to boost that on my radio show. It's time to rewild. I mean... You know, in some ways, we're getting some progress. You know, the question of rewilding or de-domesticating. And, you know, some people have already connected the dots with decolonization, that they're really the same, about the same thing. You know, they're, they're, the, the, uh, the goal of those things really uh, coincides a lot, and that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's exciting to see more awareness of that, uh, at least some awareness of it. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think there is more awareness. I come back to what I said earlier, there's resistance too. And again, I think it's that, that resistance is in hopes that, you know, if I just achieve what I've been told I need to in this modern world, all the accolades, the materialistic wealth, that will equal, equal success. And as somebody that has gone through that process, right, because I, I grew up in, in, in poverty. Um, I didn't like being in that environment as, as nobody would. And I kind of set my mind to a mission. It was like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get out of this place. And I did. And for all, you know, on, for outward, uh, you know, perception as I did really well, you know, I, 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 I met all the criteria. I achieved all the, the accolades, right? I became one of the most well-known people in my industry, which happened to be martial arts. I traveled the world. I had the sports car. I had the house in the, in the right neighborhood in South Africa, everything. My kids were going to private schools, um, but yet I still felt completely unfulfilled. And I was still, you know, waking up every morning with uh, many existential crisis, you know, and uh, yeah. that, that, you know, you can read all the things you like, but when you, when it's happening to you, that's the real realization. And I'm like, this, this, this is clearly not working. And I've done everything I was told to do, 
that would you know equal success but i still don't feel it and i and that's the thing right you need to you need to be able to embody it if it's not in, if it's not happening on that front for you what is it worth at all well it's also very hard to uh picture something other than this somebody said uh it's easier to envisage the end of the world than it is to envisage the end of capitalism or we could say civilization mm-hmm. uh and and that's true when you think about it and we're all, you know, we have to try to personally carry on. Uh, you know, I, I was in India a few years back, and, you know, it's gotten just horribly polluted as well as the other problems in a very short period of time. Dreadful air, uh, just almost the entire subcontinent. And, you know, kind of perhaps typically American naivete, I said, how, what, what what do people conclude if you can't breathe the air? You know, you fucking can't breathe the air. And they said, well, one strong way of looking at it, the, the way some people look at it quite a lot is, well, you get in your air-conditioned car, you go to your air-conditioned job, then you go home to your air-conditioned apartment. That is, I mean, many people don't have that, but they're, they're aspiring to that. Mm. So in other words... It's just a disaster, the very air you breathe, and yet you can imagine, you know, sort of tunneling through that somehow, even though the reality is telling you this is this is not sustainable, this is not doable, this is, you know, this is catastrophic, really. But, you know, I, I was struck by that. This, you can still maintain these illusions about things, you know, it's desperately so, I guess. So you wonder about that, you know, is it really... That that tunnel vision that uh, can still hold up against the the reality that's just banging on the door louder and louder. I mean, it's very frustrating, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think Frank can can talk about this too. As you know, I get the sense a lot of times exactly that. And like I said, I I hate politics, but I definitely see that people transfer that responsibility outside of themselves to somebody else, right? Somebody else is going to fix that problem. The government will eventually fix it. For now, I'll just drive in my motor vehicle with my aircon on, go home to the aircon or go down to the mall where there's aircon, right? But especially if you don't have the money for it, because that's kind of an interesting thing too. I've spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia and I was always struck by going into some of the malls and there being so many people there, but nobody really buying anything. And I, and I, and I asked my my host like why is that and he said well you know if you want to get out of the heat and the smog and everything else and you don't have aircon at home you go to the you go to the mall to to, to get it right and yeah. i think that people just pass in the buck all the time and i guess that's what myself and frank have been trying to talk about is that okay well nobody's coming to your rescue um, you're going to have to take self-ownership here you're going to have to have some personal sovereignty so what could we do individually to be able to get through this because i mean i know that you've advocated that as well and and i'm a huge advocate for it too i mean i would people say oh you wouldn't do that i'm telling you i would if somebody gave me the opportunity tomorrow morning to go back and be a hunter gatherer i'd much rather do that than doing what i'm doing now I, i would give up this life in a heartbeat i wouldn't even think about it twice um but that's obviously not possible, right? I mean, for a lot of people. And, and that's the right. thing. I, I have that this conversation with my partner all the time. I said, isn't it interesting? What we really want to do, myself and my partner, more than anything else, we want to go back to the time of the hunter-gatherer, as close to that as possibly we, we, we can get to, right? However, yeah. in order for us to achieve that, 
it's going to cost money. Right, because you're going to have to buy. You, you're going to. You can't just go into the wilderness anymore. Well, I suppose you could, but it's very difficult. You're going to have to buy a piece of land. You're going, you know, all these things. It costs money to do that. So it's, it's, it's so it pretty much takes it off the table for most people. So the question really is, well, what do we do? I mean, outside of wait until everything collapses, in the interim, yeah. what are we well, going to do? Very, it's very tough in the American West. Uh, I guess relatively. It's a little more possible, but as you say, it's it's not feasible for most people. They don't have the capital to get land, even when there is quite a bit of land. And I have a good friend in Alaska, and and there you can still you could still do that, but that's a huge leap. And the whole system works to de-skill us ever more, so we're less equipped to do that. Even though we might want to more do that than heretofore but uh, yeah there's a lot of uh, a lot of difficulties in doing that but I do think there's more people who do think like what you just described I've got a friend here in this state he's a high-tech guy he's, he really I used to have him on the radio show every other month and he, he he really knows his way around that and he said almost exactly what you said I'd give it up in a heartbeat this isn't life this is not authentic mm-hmm. you know and speaking of skills you know some of us are skilled at operating a keyboard well uh if if and when the collapse happens that that's not a skill that's going to help you out you know it's uh, that's why we have out here anyway there are quite a few of these earth skills things primitive skills camps uh periodic uh, seasonal camps and a friend of mine is uh, working on a PhD about people who have actually uh, are off the grid mm. or just trying to uh, really leave it behind and live a different way. And, you know, part of the problem there is, you you know, we could all see this. The people that theorize, the people that write, like us, are not the people that are doing it. And the people that are doing it don't, as a rule, don't write. Right, right. So there's a lot, there's actually quite a bit going on that you don't hear about. But, you know, that's this kind of division of labor. It's just the way it is, you know, at least at present. Mm. They're not writing books, you know, they're they're doing it. They're learning the practical stuff that we're all going to need to know. I suppose there's something to be said there too, right? If you're doing it right, you don't have time to be writing books. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Good way to put it. Yeah, you 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 surviving and and thriving, which is great. Frank, you got anything from your end? Oh, I do. I, I'm really interested in the psychology of all this. I've been uh, writing and studying a lot about stress recently, and I think what's happening here, at least to some degree, is that people are looking at the larger world and seeing the chaos, seeing the danger, seeing the fear of this imminent whatever is about to happen. And one of the characteristic responses of an animal, of an organism that's under extreme stress is to try and revert to the familiar. And it doesn't matter what that familiar thing was, and it might be a consumeristic culture. People go back to that simply because they know it. It's familiar. And that makes our job a thousand times more difficult because even if we show people the facts and show people what's happening, then their their backlash, if you will, is to go back to what they knew in childhood. And 
that means we, we have to, I think, be more creative somehow. Um, the other response when people are under such huge levels of stress, they try to control what they can control. So I can't control the big systemic stuff as a, as an individual human, but I can control my own body and my own life. So what you see is a lot of people going all in on narcissism and self-improvement and all of these things that it's all about me now. It's all about me because I can control me. I can control my life and do my self-improvement and forget about the rest of the world. So those are two huge obstacles that we face here. And somehow as coaches, we've got to pull people out of that. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, a, a huge source uh, to some of us is the indigenous dimension, if you will. And when you talk about going back to the familiar, they're trying to hold on to, many of them are trying to hold on to traditional ways ancestral ways because they know that's the healthy thing i mean some of them you know end up uh fronted off into the consumer society uh like any other group but uh, there is this touchstone i think with the with indigenous people and and we get to see more of that here in the west uh you know uh i think you have less potential contact quite a lot less, I would imagine, in the UK in that respect. But these, as you say, it's such a challenge because, I mean, it's it's so easy, to, for one thing, to go off into drugs. Sometimes mm -hmm. I wonder, how is it that, that not everyone is into drugs, legal and illegal, to get through the day? You know, it's mm -hmm. just, it's that rough. It's not, it isn't something... I mean, it's so understandable, given the pressures. That's one way to go back to to uh, another place. You just, uh, you know, you just get loaded. You just stay loaded. I mean, that's so epidemic here in this country. Yeah, and I, not just here, I think. Yeah, ab yeah, absolutely. And I was just like, as Frank was talking, I was reminded of a quote by Krishnamurti, where he said that it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Yep. You know, yeah, so exactly. so people are, are well adjusted, but what is well adjusted when it's not thriving? And so, again, coming back to that idea, what, what Frank was saying is like, what can we do? Because we're in the coaching space, right? So that's where we are. We're working with people on different levels, but definitely uh, more as coaches and, and, and mentors, trying to get people, you know, into that place where we recognize that they're not going to be able to just up and leave and go into a mountain somewhere and just become completely self-sufficient as much as they would like to potentially. It's not possible for a lot of people for, for multiple reasons. So then what can, what can each individual do on a daily basis, at, at least to reinvoke some of that wildness, you know, to basically almost restart their, their ancient DNA so that they do feel more, in tune with themselves and connected. Well, the way that I describe to my boys, I say, look, guys, the, the matrix is real, but just because you need to play in the matrix to get from point A to point B doesn't mean you have to be owned by it. And that's always going to be the struggle is how do I maintain my sovereignty in a kind of modern civilization that is designed to take, basically to strip mine 
the best of my potential for its own, not even personal gain, because it's not even personal, right? It's just impersonal. And it's driving to what, which is what your work is about. It's driving to the end, because unless there's somehow a massive U-turn here, which I don't know, maybe I'm a pessimist. I just can't see it happening because for all the things we're talking about is that even for the people that recognize there's a problem, there's this also this kind of tension, this unwillingness to want to do something about it. And until we all come together collectively, we're never going to get anywhere because the only way to overturn any of the stuff that we see is that it's going to take mass formation, right? Well, in other words, activism. And yeah, that's, activism. That's yeah. what really interests me because I think it's a really fundamental human need to fight back. And it's yeah. part of our wildness and it's part of our heritage. It's part of our animal nature. And when we give up on that, then that's, that's part of our health. So I've come up with this phrase, activism is medicine. And it's astonishing to me. You, if you looked at that up on the internet, there's hardly any hits for that phrase. But I think we could do a lot with that because there are real benefits to the body and the mind and the spirit that come through fighting and striving. So that's maybe an avenue for us. Oh, I think that's so well put. I think resistance is extremely health-giving. You know, that's when you're alive. I mean, you know, I'm kind of a child of the 60s, and I went through all that. And, uh, you know, not, not to romanticize that. In some ways, it didn't go all that far. It didn't last all that long. But it, there was a glimpse of something. And in the struggles of those days, that was the some of the high points of my life. I think we're due for another stage. It's been a good 20 years since the so-called anti-globalization movement, you know, end of the uh, 90s, early uh, 2000s. Uh, and uh, there, there might be some, some signs of that. There's more activity here. We're doing a sort of a almost monthly uh, public presentations at a big local tavern here that's kind of a gathering place presenting new books, but not just books, but we're having, for example, at the end of this month, uh, Peter Bauer, Rewild Portland. That's that's a very interesting project. He's been pursuing that for some time. The aim there, by the way, Rewild Portland, is to show that even in urban spaces, you can start to reconnect with the earth. Mm-hmm. You can learn about what grows here, what used to grow here, how did what did Native people eat, you know, stuff like that. And their their workshops and classes are very popular up there. Really, uh, goes against the grain, but uh, you know there's there's something of a hunger for that. So he'll be talking uh, in ten days uh, here in uh, Eugene. Mm. So there's some there's some signs of life, but you know I I couldn't agree more about the uh, you know the if you fight back, then you're living. You know then you're doing something that. Uh, it's, you know, there was a, the the best film, by the way, on what happened in Seattle, the WTO summit, 1999, the days of rioting up there. It's called Breaking the Spell. And that's a perfect title. Mm-hmm. You know, you break the spell of conditioning when you're out there and, you, you know, you don't have a ride every day to go to, but, you know, there are other things and, and you can feel like you're 
you're pushing against it. And when you are, you're, you're not just being passive and narcissistic and feeding the billions and billions of dollar self-help industry, always new stuff to, uh, you know, make you think you can uh, just somehow get by as a monad, as an isolated person without ever thinking about society. I like that, John, because I guess where Frank comes from, he's thinking kind of like more of a collective activism, right, Frank? I mean, you want people to get involved. I'm more on the other side where I think that's totally valuable. And I think we need people to do that. I think it's also who you are as a person. Like, I don't think that I have it within me to potentially do what Frank's saying. But where I can add to it is more in maybe uh, what we can define as personal activism like what you were describing, John, like individually, what can I do to fight back against, against the machine? Like, what can I do each day? Even if it's small things, just to basically, you know, r- revive my own wildness so that I don't become you know, a conformist and domesticated and lose myself in the process. And I guess one of the questions that, that would interest me is, what do you do personally, John? Like, do you have any like personal things, like personal practices that you do on a daily, a weekly basis that you would say, well, this is kind of my personal activism, right? This is how I kind of, you know, rally against that machine and kind of just re- remind myself of my own personal wildness. Well, there are big limits to any of that in the present uh, context. And people often say, well, all these are interesting theories and, and uh, theses and everything, but how do you apply it? But, you know, part of, part of the fact is there's no way to apply it. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll clarify that a little, I think, but mm. you don't get to practice that as much as you'd like. If, if you could, we wouldn't need to overturn this whole nightmare of a system when you think about it. Sure. But on the other hand, there, there are things to do. I mean, I have the weekly radio show. I've been doing it for 22 years now at the university here. And not everybody has a chance to do that. But any of the things, a letter to the editor or, you know, uh, answer back to these talk shows or other forums, you can stand up and say, why is it that all this is basically just trivia? What the fuck are you thinking? Have you looked out the window? Do you have any notion as to how bad it's getting, and here you're prattling about some bullshit. And it takes guts to do that. But I, I'm finding that more and more, that's you can be there, there can be a greater reception of that. Hmm. I can think of some examples where I've spoke up and the, 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 the response might have been, well, hey, we didn't come here to hear you talk, shot, shoot off your mouth, you know, sit down and shut up. No, no, people were listening to what I had to say. And, and that's a big change. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to measure how far that's gone, but I think people are more receptive to, uh, to challenging shit, you know, in whatever way it is, you know, uh, but then just, you know, on a more personal level, just, I work out three times in the weight room at the Y. I like to bicycle a lot. I'm learning, uh, I'm learning more about gardening. I really enjoy that to try to discover what grows here and how does it work, you know, it's uh, because it'll have to be a kind of transition out of this, out of this place of having no agency. Mm. It's, it's going to probably be small steps and it might lead to 
suddenly a big step. I mean, that's the other thing I think of historically. Uh, for example, you know, in the 60s, it, it, in most places in the West anyway, um, it was the 60s until the middle, it was the 50s, that is. And the cliches go, you know, total conformism, consumerism. That's the way it was. I grew up in that. I grew up, that's when I was, I was a kid. And then suddenly in the middle of the 60s, bang, all over the world, nobody saw that coming. Nobody. Mm -hmm. And then it was off to the races. It was exciting as hell for a while. And, and you know, the Marxists were looking for the economic crisis. <laughs> there wasn't any. The economy was growing. It's actually usually the case. You know, rising expectations, that's when things start to take off, when they do start to take off. And so they they didn't have a clue. And nobody else did either. I mean, I remember that. I mean, wow, what's going on here? So, you know, that could happen. That could happen uh, without any big uh, overture or, you know. Uh, but, of course, that's different than what do we do on a daily, daily basis when things aren't starting to happen. Again, if they ever do, you know, they might. Mm. I think myself and Frank, we, we, we had a conversation about this on our second episode. Um, we were talking about just some of the things we can do and it might maybe on the, on the surface of it, not seem like it's you really doing anything, but I think when you start collectively taking everything together, it is. And obviously that has to be for each person, depending where they are in the world. And I get that. And obviously economically, I understand that as well, but I live now on the Isle of man, which is a UNESCO biosphere. There is many places to go outdoors. And so when I'm working with my clients, I'm like, you know, have you spent all week in the office or you've actually taken time to go out into the wild or as close to the wild as we can get. Right. And there's like fun little things that people can do to kind of reinvoke that inner wildness. And it seems kind of silly, silly and childish or childlike, but like once they've actually done it, they're like, oh, that's really cool. So one of the things, for example, just recently we were out in, in, in the woods here and we have a lot of like wild, um, hares you know bunnies running around all over the place and i'd like mm -hmm. well you see those like let's see if we i, I don't want to hurt them of course because I'm, I'm vegetarian but i was like let's see if we can let's see if we can stalk them you know let's see if we can stalk them do you remember when you used to do that as a kid how cool that used to make you feel and like my client was like man what, what are you fucking smoking man <laughs> it's like i'm like let's just just let's try let's see how close we can actually get right and 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 we did right and it was a catastrophe because you know, the, the guy, the guy hadn't done something like that in ages and made more noise than, than, than he should have. But we tried it again. And by the third or the fourth time, it was like, wow, that's actually pretty fun. Right. Like, I mean, it wow. sounds kind of silly and childlike on the surface, but that's the kinds of little things, right. Or, okay. I have a choice right now. If I'm going to put something into my body, do I choose something that I know has been designed in a factory Right? Or am I going to get as close as I possibly can to the origin of this food source? Just that in itself, to me, is personal activism, right? The choice between eating, if you can, and I get that, not everybody can do this. I understand that economically, but if you can, the choice between eating organic or non-organic. I mean, I do think that these little things all play into it at the end of the day. Unfortunately, and this is my pessimism coming out, is that these are great ideas, but then somebody takes it and they turn it back into the very system we're trying to fight against, right? And so you now got the, you know, the, the vegetarian restaurants and all that stuff and everybody's trying to make a profit, which is like, okay, that's the thing, right? And not, not everything has to be about a profit. 
it, not everything has to have an end goal. And that's, that's also okay. And, and that's kind of what I'm trying to get across individually to, to my clients, which I'm not going to say is easy. It's difficult because I see and I feel and I sense the conditioning, you know, and I'm saying, you know, there's another way to live and you can do these things. But when you do do that, people do come out the other side and they're like, that was refreshing. That, that was that, you know, I feel, I feel, you know, excited and I feel, feel alive for the first time in, in a long time. So that, that gives me hope. Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, I've got someone language and it, it's even kind of a, a little bit promising. I follow the people at Extinction Rebellion and Scientist Rebellion. I follow this guy, uh, Peter Comas, who uh, is one of the leaders in that movement. And they did an action somewhere in the UK not that long ago where they locked down to the front doors of some big institution, a bank or whatever. And they had a sign with them that said, we are nature defending itself. And I was really struck by that because that's the kind of statement, that's the kind of language that you might describe as hippie talk. Right. Or native and indigenous talk. And now all of a sudden you've got these white coated scientists, very sober people, serious people talking this way. We are nature defending herself. And this is this is identifying with nature. We are rising up to defend our biosphere. And for me, that was really inspiring. And I'm not so shy about talking that way anymore. So that was inspirational for me. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. <clears throat> but I think there are limits to the symbolic. If you folks who submit to arrest, <clears throat> that's not what animals do. Uh, I guess I'm more excited by a new book called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. I've read that. Basically, you know, it makes the argument there's going to be there's going to have to be some targeted property destruction, straight up. Right. You can march around with a sign, or even be more militant. But if it's mostly performative. It only goes so far. Maybe it has a very good uh, sense of conveying something to people, but you don't want to convey the limits. I mean, I don't think we should take anything off the table in terms of what's going to have to happen to really challenge the system. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, uh, you know, there's going to have to be some real damage, real resistance. Maybe not. I hope not. I hope it would just be uh, <clears throat> happy and peaceful and, but I don't think it's ever worked that way much. Uh, so I guess, I guess, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. I think in one side, I agree. I guess my concern always is as somebody that has spent a lifetime working with human beings in the world of interpersonal violence and seeing the worst of humans, my concern always is that oftentimes something that starts off as righteous ends up being unjust in that sense that, the, you start off with the right intentions, but ultimately become, you know, terrorists. You become the very thing that you were fighting against. And that also is always a concern is like, how do people ensure that that doesn't happen, right? Because we can say, well, that's righteous action and we can all get behind it. But unfortunately, it always ends up going, you know, the wrong way. Uh, just, I mean, I don't know the whole story, but it kind of seemed that way to me with, um, uh, Paul Watson recently, right? Uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, he, his group, what's it called again, Frank? You know. Sea Shepherds. Sea Shepherds, right? So we're talking about Sea Shepherds. I don't know a lot about it, but it kind of seemed like, you know, he was the guy that was willing to push the boundaries and really put himself out there. And now he's been ousted 
mm-hmm. you know, in favor of capitalism, really. And the yeah, entire yeah. thing, the entire thing that he created has literally just been watered down to the point that, you know, I know people personally that used to support that organization that n- now lo- no longer support them. They've basically stopped sending, you know, their donations every month. Yeah, the corporate takeover, it's always, uh, <clears throat> it's always a danger. And so is the slippery slope regarding violence. But it doesn't always happen to be that way. For example, the sure. Earth Liberation Front and the Animal Liberation Front has yet to harm any life, even though the American government says they're terrorists. How is it terrorism if you, if you don't ever harm life? I mean, they, sure. they, do, they do illegal shit, that's for sure. But, you know, then you have the possibility of, of you know, employing that. For example, if... Uh, if a group burns down the McDonald's in some country or, uh, and they have the communique explaining why that happened, they get the opportunity for people to read that communique because they burned down McDonald's. Otherwise, who would notice? Who would care? Who would, you know, wouldn't make the media or anything? So sometimes you've got to take the further step and really push it over the line or else you just, uh, nothing happens. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I see that. Coming but back, it's always yeah. a struggle. I mean, it's always a tension. I mean, I've been aware of that over the years. You know, especially with, I perhaps especially with young people that get all fired up and uh, they don't know what consequences can be for themselves, uh, not to mention other people. You can go to jail for a long time, and and you weren't really thinking that because you don't have the experience to know you know, how to be more careful with things. Right. And when you go to jail, you become completely invisible. You're out of the game now. You have no power at all. So it might make more sense to exercise a smaller amount of power. I, I don't know. It's always a judgment sure, call. Yeah. And, and that's that's what intrigues me about this whole thing, because we're, we're working with these immense interconnected systems that operate kind of like natural systems in the sense that they're so complex that you can have a butterfly effect and you can have a small change in initial conditions that'll ripple through the system. You have these downstream consequences and you don't really know what they are. So, but what you can do, you can control the way you show up. And that's what I encourage people to do. I say, look, you do have some control. You can control the, the spirit that you bring to your action, whatever it happens to be. And at least you've got that. Mm. So I think, I think also when, you, when you're making all these kind of moves into activism and, you know, potentially, you know, getting to the point where there might be things like destruction of property and so forth, right? We also need to recognize that the average person on the street, when, when they're confronted with things like that, their immediate response is to pull into themselves and become afraid. So we also have to think about that, right? I mean, if you want to convince a larger audience, you need to also take that into account because for the average person just literally trying to make it through every single day, just like literally on the, the, the wire, right? Like at the bread line. When they see things like that, it, it, it just freaks them out. I mean, I'm thinking about just in, in my own space, right? Like one of the things I learned early on was that I can recognize that somebody's struggling with something. I know what the problem is, but don't tell people what the problem is, right? Because as soon as you tell them what the problem is, they shut off. 
People don't want to hear that. So you have to find another way to get it to them, right? It'd be more creative. And that's what I've always loved about the work that we've done, Frank. We're, you know, we're in an embodied space. We get people to be active and out there and doing things with their body. Uh, if I think of martial arts as a good example of that, and I can, I can get them to confront that problem almost indirectly, right? And then offer a, as a mentor, as a guide, a solution, and they take it up on themselves. And I've always found that that's a better way to get people to change than coming out and saying, listen, man, you know, the world's fucked. And, you know, you, you kind of come at that approach and they're like, ah, oh, you know, fear just sets right, in. Right. They're like, shit, I'm not going to do anything because I just want to get through today, right? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, anything that uh, helps build autonomy, these things that make people stronger, then they're going to be, uh, you know, more able to, take on certain things or hear certain things and not be defensive or fearful. Um, and, you know, that's true of, of militant action too. Uh, when, when that happens, which isn't every day, but, you know, I've heard the argument that you're only going to turn off people and make them very defensive. If a bunch of anarchists go off in the streets, well, that's true. That's, that's the fact. In a in a society where everybody's so conditioned, uh, you know, largely. So, but it's also true that if this happens more than once, the next time they're not going to be so freaked out. It becomes mm-hmm. it's not something so otherworldly that you couldn't even dream of doing it, or you would be just terrified of it, or whatever. Uh, I mean, you don't always get another chance, but I mean you can kind of normalize it is what I'm getting at where people, they're not so uh, crazed by it. You know, that's, they might, they might still not agree with it, but they're not going to be so, you know, uh, adamant or Mm. opposed to it. And, and I think that happens too. Yeah. It sounds to me that, you know, you need like a a multi-prong approach, right? What, what you, what you're saying, John, what you're saying, Frank, what I'm saying on a personal level, and I think as you, as, as each, if there's more of us doing it, that's the bottom line. If there's more people out there, at least attempting to guide the process in their own individual way. Like for me, I like to work individually with people, Frank, more collectively and so forth. And then obviously, John, you've got your radio show and your books and you're hitting a lot of people that way. I think slowly, I think you're right. You know, you start, the shift will happen and people, people forget how adaptable we are as as human animals and we adapt very quickly to new ways of being. And we have done that since the dawn of mankind, right? I think about where we, where we came from to supposedly where we are now. And even in the world right now, people are adapting all the time to, to things that sometimes they shouldn't be adapting to like in India, right. And dealing with the, with the, with the, uh, you know, the pollution, but it just shows you. So in that way, I think, you know, you know, as we start coming to the end, I think at least there, there is a glimmer of hope there. I think we have the potential to turn this thing around. Or at least I, that's how, how, how I'd like to see it. Yeah, and all these things. I, I loved your story about the hairs. I mean, we used to be able to track. We, we had a contact with the natural world and, and the other beings in it. And uh, that's disappearing faster and faster. But at the same time, maybe people see that more and more. Like the one of the big projects now of the machine is the metaverse. Mm. You know, you've probably read about that. And they're having a lot of trouble with that. You know, part of the thing is, if people see such a sorry, impoverished world 
then they're going to be more apt to go for something as crazy as that to where it's fully digital. You're immersed in it. You're really nothing but an avatar. I mean, that, that's just a nightmare further stage of alienation. But it's not faring that well either. You know, it's not, people are a little healthier than some of these people uh, may have imagined. It's, they're spending all this money, years in the works, and it's, uh, it's really not getting off the ground. So that's, uh, you know, that's some cause for hope too, I think. Sure. <laughs> well, I did one other note on adaptability. I have a friend who's an athletic coach, and he does workshops with his athletes. And one of the questions he asked him, are you adapted or are you adaptable? And mm. for me, that's like a really powerful question because if you're totally adapted, you might perform really well until things change and then you've got a problem. But if you're adaptable, then you can, you can roll with it. So that's, I think, a great thing for coaches to work with. Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah, I like that distinction. So, John, as we come to the end, because we want to be respectful of your time, have you got any parting words of uh, wisdom for us that you'd want everybody to take away from our chat together? Well, I guess uh, my hope is that people are able to face reality and make some uh, adjustments, if you will, some uh, further conclusions about how they are able to conduct themselves. I mean, we don't have all every range of choices, obviously, but uh, we have some, and and maybe it's easier to see the things that we shouldn't be doing as a starter. Mm. You know, like what you were saying about politics, what a turnoff. Well, there should be more, uh, more of a, a flight from, from all this nonsense. You know, here in this country, billions and billions are spent on these elections, the electoral racket. It's such a sham. It's just a matter of money and manipulation and so unhealthy. As an anarchist, I have nothing to do with that at all except uh, to oppose it. But maybe it's easier to stop doing certain things to allow some room for doing, you know. Other things. The positive things, you know. Yeah. Perfect. No, I like that. That's a fantastic way to end off. Well, John. Much appreciated. Appreciate your time. That was thank you. That was thank amazing. You guys. I really, really yeah, enjoyed great, it. Yeah. Great to meet you, John. Cool. The Human Animal Project. I'm very excited about that. That's wonderful. <laughs> cool. Thanks, John. We appreciate it. Take care. All right. Cheers. Great to meet you. Goodbye. Hey. Yeah, man. So that went well, right? I mean, he yeah. made he yeah. made some he made some good points. Maybe we can just chat a little bit. Yeah, we got a couple of minutes. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's 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 something there, and and I guess always, and and we've talked about this, right? It's 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 hard, it's hard to come to some kind of process, a step by step kind of I don't know, like have a, a way to say to people, okay, if you do this, it's going to lead to to, to, <laughs> right. to a better way, and it's so it's so complex, and I think in our own ways, we're trying to do that as best as we possibly can. I just keep coming back to that. I think. Um, I think you you need to strengthen each person's personal sovereignty, their ability to feel in control of where they are, knowing that they don't have to be a slave to that system 
as much as they think they need to and wherever they can kind of combat it, you know, go against the grain, so to speak, they should do that because each time you do that, right, each time you step out of conformity, I feel that that's where you invoke your wildness. That's you feel it. I can feel it. Like when, when I, when I say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not just going to do it because the status quo says I should do it. And I have an opportunity here not to do it. And that's my activism. That's my personal activism. I feel you always come out that side feeling more wild, right? You feel like you've actually done something. You feel more capable and it's like courage is a muscle. And you just make that muscle stronger by using it. Yeah. And I think your, your side is also equally important, Frank. I mean, I think it's important to get people together on the same page and collectively, you know, seek to want to do something about whatever the problem that you see, right? Because that's also really good. That's also very um, within our ancient DNA, our kinship, our connection to each other, you know, people forget that, right? I mean, it's like, and we've talked about this, like one of the things I cannot stand when people, especially men describe themselves as alpha males. I really just, I really dislike that, right? Uh, For a lot of reasons, but it, it really is, at least in my world, and I've dealt with people who call themselves alpha males and they're all out for themselves. They don't give a shit about anybody else. Right. Right. And that's not, that's not really what it should be about. And that's not even anyway, what it is to be a leader. I mean, you know, we always collectively survived exactly for that reason that we worked as a tribe, Mm -hmm. not as one individual. Um, I, I don't know enough about that, but I mean, you know, they say things like, Oh, the Neanderthals were equal to us and they were much more stronger and so forth, but they died out. I don't know. It's hard to tell. Right. But if we could go back in time, maybe the reason they, th- those Neanderthals, which we could describe as all alphas, right. The reason they didn't end up getting to where we are is because they didn't cooperate with each other. Right. Right. So it, it's like, you know, we need to, we need to learn to do that. And, and, and I think yeah, John's right on, 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 on several things there, you know, and you said it too, um, this kind of narcissistic attitude that people have when you can see it everywhere. I can see it on a small island like this. It's not, it's not like we're immune to it. Where, you know, in the smallest things, you know, like in the old days, when you used to walk somewhere, right, especially like in the town or something like that, okay, first of all, everybody was polite. Everybody would say hello. Um, people would want to get out of the way of other people right and you want to do the same thing now people will just like well now they're like yeah they're on their phones and shit but even when they're not they're like walk like you don't exist right they want to walk right through you and they without even viewing that as being not the right way to to show up right and so i see that everywhere and and it's sad and and that's the but that's the bullshit that we've been sold you know, if you want to be successful, it's all about you. It's about outdoing everybody else, regardless of what what's required and, you know, and who gets hurt in, in the in the in the long run, you know, or even in the short term going through that process. It's about competing. It's about hustling. It's all of these narratives. And no wonder people are not feeling healthy. No wonder they feel like they have no sense of meaning because that's yeah. in opposition to how we were now, of course, you know, we've, we've said this, Frank, I mean, we don't want to like uh, over romanticize the hunter gatherer societies, because of course, if you go back in time, there, there were definitely things that, that we wouldn't approve of, but in a more general sense, I think overall they had it much better and they, had, they were more on the mark than we are now. Well, at least yeah. that's my perspective. 
You know, that reminds me, and this would be the, the great guest to have on the show, would be, uh, oh, God, um, The Perfect Storm, Sebastian Younger. He wrote mm. that book called Tribe. If, yeah. if we could get to him and get him on the show, he would love to talk about this stuff. So maybe somebody listening to this now might have him as a connection, right? So do us a favor and reach out to him and say, hey, there's these two cool guys that would love to talk to you. And yeah, I'd love to talk to him about that. I mean, I think that's an important topic. um, That would be fantastic. You know, the other thing, when I was studying up for our session, I pulled out this book. um, Have you seen this one? I have. The Fall? Yeah. He's just super clear about history and its effect on um human ego and so i don't know he's a brit i think um if yeah. we did yeah that would be awesome as well. i think everybody has has value to to add and i think these are all great and and i i mean i'll i'll try as best as i can always to at least avail myself of the historical kind of context right i'm by no stretch of imagination am i saying an, i'm an expert but but i try my best i still right. always come back to the idea that that's great to know that so you know where you came from so you don't end up going to the same place, right? But right. you still you still need to do something now. You still, as, as, a, as yeah. an individual yeah. within whatever you would call your tribe, and it could be just literally your family, you need to do something now to, to at least invoke that wildness, to yeah. break free from that domestication. You know, it, my tagline at the moment is conformity kills potential. Ooh, nice. and, yeah, and, and I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. And sadly, I have to, you know, like everybody else, and I wish I didn't, I have to pay the bills, right? And so when I'm coaching, I put myself out there as a coach to outliers because that's what it often feels like. It's like the people that have woken up to some degree, like Neo in the Matrix, right? And they've right. recognized, hold on a second, this, this, is, this is all a facade, it's 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 actually not built to help me flourish it's built to take the best away from me and that's what i see all the time right that people i mean you know we we all i guess are that to a certain degree but wage slaves where we basically just we're in slavery from paycheck to paycheck for a few minute individuals at the top that are controlling the entire narrative and everything else. And they will change the story depending on what their current narcissistic needs are. And we all feel the consequences, right? And, you know, it's just, you look at everything around you and like, really another war at this, right. at this time in, 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 in our existence, surely after all the his- history that we should know, do we really think that that is a way to sort out anything? I mean, right. right. Did you just, it's so, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm just being like super optimistic, but I keep thinking to myself, if we just stop fighting with each other for a moment and just learn to get along, could you imagine what the potential is? And then, you know, I've said this to you too, right? It's like, it really grates me when I see people like Elon Musk and stuff like that, like pushing to get off planet, right? Let's go to another planet. Let's go somewhere else. I'm like, you, we haven't even proved that we even have the right to be here. We've destroyed this home. What are we going to do when we go somewhere else? We're going to fuck that place up too, man. We haven't learned. We've learned nothing, you know, and and just being maybe a bit of a geek here is kind of thinking back to Star Trek. I don't know if you ever watched Star Trek, but that whole thing about when they, when they first 
discovered warp drive, right? And the Vulcans wouldn't give them the rest of the recipe. And they were, they were so pissed off about it. Well, the reason the Vulcans weren't giving you the rest of the re- recipe, because you hadn't learned how to be within nature, with nature, as part of nature. You still wanted to cause destruction. Well, why are we not going to give you the tools to go to other places and other planets where there are other civilizations to end up doing the same thing? And I keep thinking we need to get our shit right here first. And once we get that right, I think the heavens will open. Right. right, right. Yeah, first things first. So that's that's what this podcast is about, guys. I mean, that's what we're trying to do is in our own little minute way, try to make <laughs> try to make a difference, at least for ourselves. And I think it's cathartic. I mean, it's cathartic for me. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. And, and the, the point is, you never know who's listening. You never know how they're going to respond. You never know much of anything. And so you just got to put it out there. And yeah, you got to uh, bring your yeah. spirit to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, it's we are on top of the hour, and uh, I'm going to close off. We've got some other guests coming up in the not so distant future. It's yeah, quite yeah, I'm, I'm excited about both of these, so that it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. All right, thanks, Frank. Appreciate it. All right. Till, till Cheers, the next man. one, brother. Cheers. All right. All right. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Hey, Dr. King here. Thank you for joining myself and Frank on an exploration in improving the health of the human animal. To find out more about our work, you can visit frank at exuberantanimal.com. For coaching with me and to find out more about the Human Animal Project, as well as our retreats, go to humananimal.info. Until the next time, be wild, be free.